Yeah, I'm not talking about an act of evil. I'm talking about the very presence of evil, if if that can even be a thing to say. <laughs> Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm Thomas here with Daniel for another episode. Good morning. This morning. I'm doing well. Thank you. <laughs> Good. Before we get uh, too much into it here, we want to first thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash reason together. Uh, if you'd like to help support this podcast, we would much appreciate that. Uh, and if you're curious uh, what we do with that support, we do have a blog and technical editor that we pay uh, for that, as well as uh, an editor for the audio version of this podcast. And uh, we also are, are looking to increase a little bit of our, our you know, blogging world blogging sphere <laughs> blogosphere is that a word that actually is a word yeah yeah <laughs> we're looking to kind of uh, support that a little bit better uh than we're doing so uh, and and keep the content coming for you uh so that's what uh, our patrons help support as well as keeping the lights on on uh, reasontogether.fm uh so if you'd like to help with that endeavor uh, we would sure appreciate that you can go to patreon.com slash reason together and choose one of the various support levels there um and and I don't know if you know this, but with even if you chose a support level that was say eight dollars per episode, you can still set a cap on that per month. So that if we put out fifty episodes in a month, which would never happen, <laughs> you're not going to get charged eight dollars for every single one of those episodes because you can place a cap on how many episodes per month you support. So there is flexibility there. Even if you wanted to support for a dollar or two a month, uh, Patreon allows you to do that and customize a pledge. Uh, so if you want to check that out, that's over at patreon.com slash reason together, and we'd be grateful. All right. Well, glad that you've uh, you've uh, tuned in again to uh, to hear from our deep, rich experience of life, all the answers that you've ever needed. And uh, no, I, actually, uh, we're glad that you've sort of joined the conversation and to hear two good friends uh, reason together just about uh, stuff. Well, we've just had a, an array of questions. And I was thinking as we start today, Tom, what do you think um, listening to our podcast says about our listeners? I was listening to something the other day and it was one of those, uh, you know, something like, well, you care, you obviously care because you're listening to this. And I thought, what does listening to our podcast say about our listeners? What do you think? Uh, well, the first thing that comes to mind is that they, they like to think, mm -hmm. uh, they like mm -hmm. to, to talk over issues, um, which it, it maybe we take for granted that as as not only the host of this podcast, but our listeners probably take that for granted as well, that that people that some people out there like to think through what they believe and how it applies to life. Uh, there's probably a large swath of professing Christendom that really doesn't do that mm -hmm. and uh, probably not not far from home <laughs> uh, in our circles. So. Uh, I think they're thinking people. Yeah. And I think the other thing it says about them is that they have a relationship with truth. Um, and not that we have all the answers all the time. We're thinking through these things on the fly. Right. <laughs> but we're willing, we're willing to correct ourselves as we see truth from scripture applied to life. We're willing to think about it. We're willing to be wrong. Um, and uh, and I think that's important. And I think our listeners are willing to do that as well. I think there's some honesty there amongst our listeners. Good. And I, I also had typed down here that uh, they appreciate good conversation. You know, there really is a value to 
convert, I mean, good conversation, you know, meaningful, Mm -hmm. edifying, substantive conversation that talks about things that matter. And, um, and like you say, it was willing to be sharpened. And other than that, they just love the soothing tone of our voices, um, and our, (laughs) and our, and our wit and our suave debonair style and things like that. But, uh, uh, but yeah, so thank you. (laughs) One thing my voice has never been called is soothing. (laughs) (laughs) Just so you know, no surprises there. Okay. (laughs) Well, if anyone, if anyone finds a Tom's voice soothing, maybe just send in some feedback and say, I do. And then puts me to sleep all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Members of colonial, not allowed to, uh, to comment yeah. there. Um, <laughs> all right. So, okay. Uh, let's, uh, let's get into some of these questions here. We've got, we've got some feedback. We believe it or not, we've got two kind of related questions about, about relationships. And uh, so where do you want to start? Uh, well, we have been uh, trying to squeeze in this theodicy question for weeks okay. now here. Okay. And I feel like we can't put that off anymore. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, do you want to read that one? Sure. And uh, we'll get into it. Sure. Uh, Omar writes, <laughs> uh, in light of the anniversary of September 11, I was wondering if you could discuss how evil can exist in God's world. Okay. This is a, a classic question. That's what he calls it. The classic question of the problem of evil asks how an all good and all powerful God can permit such evil in his creation. Skeptics say that if God were all good, he would want to stop the evil, and if he were all powerful, he would be able to stop evil. The fact that evil still exists must mean that God is either not all good or not all powerful. How would you answer this? Thank you for the question. Um, what? Fire away. <laughs> uh, fire yeah, away at, solve- the, at, the, at the largest question ever asked and the yeah, most popular. We're going to solve the problem of evil here in just a matter of minutes. That's right. Just give us about five, maybe 10 minutes. <laughs> no, well, I think as, as much as we joke about it, we are acknowledging that this is a subject that has captivated uh, thinkers across the spectrum for a long, long time. Um, and there's still really no way to fully understand this. And, and that, I think that last sentence I stated, I think plays into my particular view on theodicy. Mm -hmm. But before we can even get into various views of theodicy, we have to begin with the premise of what is evil? What, uh, Mm -hmm. what, what do you think evil is? Mm -hmm. Is it, well, I don't want to, I don't want to give a leading question here. Go well, ahead. Yeah, that? I mean, I think uh, to back up a step and the, I guess, the apologetic response to this, um, and, and I don't think it's the only response or necessarily the, the proper initial response, but a, a response to this is um, we don't, you know, you your framework of, of if, if you're trying to say this to disprove God, you disprove the ability to even have the conversation that we're having you undermine your own conversation. And what I mean by that is that you eliminate God, you eliminate, um, you eliminate the creator of logic, you eliminate the giver of laws, the determiner of right and wrong. And so now we have to, we, we have to assume on something which, which there is no good, um, basis for this assumption in naturalistic, you know, philosophy that, that we can even reason together. Yeah, and you, you bring up an important point about dealing with this question of theodicy, uh, when talking to a skeptic, 
Yes, um, right. Which it, which is a whole nother conversation, I suppose. Uh, however, for the sake of our largely Christian audience, um, this is still a question that baffles Christians. Uh, how do we mm -hmm, explain mm -hmm. evil to ourselves um, <clears throat> or to each other? Um, and and when it comes to the question, what is evil? There, there's a couple different views on that. Some view it as a positively created thing. Hmm. That it's an actual, like if you were to picture the number scale, right? And you look at zero there and then everything to the left of that would be negative and everything to the positive of that would be, you know, positive numbers to the right. Uh, is evil on the positive scale of things or is evil simply the absence of something else? Hmm. Is, is evil simply the absence of goodness? Is, is that what happens when goodness is absent, if, if that makes sense? That, that I think is an important foundational axiom that we have to deal with first when trying to answer the question of theodicy. Whoa. Um, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know where to go with that exactly. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, the, 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 the implications of that are important because if evil is on the positive scale of things, in other words, to the right of zero, mm -hmm. then you're talking about something that had to have been created, mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's on the negative side of the scale to the left of zero, then it's something that is just the absence of something else, which is a lot easier to explain. Because if we say that, that evil is a positively created thing, well, then now we have the question, who created it? Why did they create it? And what does it say about them? <laughs> mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and if we take it as a positive thing, then we say, well, then, then Satan had to have created evil, right? Because if God creates evil, then he is evil. Uh, well, then we... if Satan creates evil, then why didn't God stop him and so on? You get into all of these questions. Um, <clears throat> and this is actually, this question goes back to Epicurus, a Greek philosopher, an ancient Greek philosopher. Uh, and he said, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he is not omnipotent. Is he able but not willing? then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Then whence cometh evil? Is he neither able nor willing? Then why call him God? So all that to say, this is something that has been thought about for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And and his entire line of questioning, Epicurus's entire line of questioning comes from his view that evil is a positively created thing. But if evil is simply the absence of God's goodness, right? If it's If it's the absence of goodness of any kind, uh, well, that's a lot easier to explain. Um, yes, explain it more to me because I'm not seeing the ease immediately to say the absence of goodness. Like, what does that mean? How can someone, because obviously evil is active. If someone does something evil, they're actively doing evil. So it's not just like I was sitting in my living room and evil was present right. because nothing was happening, but, but something actively is happening and yet it's the absence of something. So explain. Yeah, I'm not talking about an act of evil. I'm talking about the very presence of evil. If, if that can even be a thing to say, <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, in, in the beginning, right. When God created everything, right. Sure. Um, there was darkness upon the face of the deep. Did he create the darkness? You know what I mean? Or was the darkness simply the absence of the light God created? Mm -hmm. Um, does that make sense? And yes. uh so, so in that sense, if we view evil as simply the absence of goodness and we look at all of humanity in light of there being an absence of goodness because of the fall, mm -hmm. uh, well, then that, that makes a little more sense. And I'm not sure if I'm explaining it the best way possible, but that makes more sense to me than to say evil is a positively created thing. Well, because then who created it? 
and and if it was God, then he's evil. And if if God simply allowed it, why did he allow it? Hmm. I think to me, they're sort of uh, they're they've <laughs> they've linked elbows because you know linked linked arms because on the one hand we say well it's the presence of it's humanity that lacks goodness, and yet that's that would be my explanation to the positive creation of evil is that it's the humanity that lacks goodness that. Um, I would say all of creation lacks goodness. Yeah, in some way. But um, to say it's those humans that create it when they make their decision, they choose to sin because they're bent. Um, and I guess maybe you're asking where the bent comes from. Right. Yeah. Why? That, that's, that's what I mean is, uh, is why, why do they do that? Where does that evil nature come from? And, and you say, well, it goes back to the fall. Okay. Well, then why did that happen? <laughs> um, does that make sense? I don't know that I'm completely tracking with you, but um. okay. <laughs> um, well, to get back to the original statement, yeah, I'd said there's something in this conversation I don't think we can understand. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think we're kind of circling the drain around that exact point is something that we cannot <laughs> understand here, um, and and that kind of factors into my view of theodicy, the one that I think is perhaps the most tenable. And, and really, this is this. The, I've I've actually said this on this podcast before, though not using the word theodicy. I've presented my view both in church and on this podcast about this. And essentially, it's the concept of what some might term a big God theodicy. Okay. Uh, the idea that God is uh, not only all powerful, but He's also all righteous, and that means when He does something that to us we don't understand, like He allows you know, 9-11 to happen. He allows all sorts of evil things to happen. Mm-hmm. I trust him anyway, because he's bigger than me and he knows things I don't. And that seems to be to a skeptic, a cop-out answer. But to the Christian, that answer makes sense because we understand the place of faith in the Christian life, that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. And that means there are going to be things we don't understand, nor can we have answers to. Um, so I'm comfortable with a big God theodicy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, basically there's going to be things, you know, trying to wrap my mind around the entire concept is trying to encapsulate God too much and not just permitting him to be God. You're saying just understanding yeah. that his thoughts are above my thoughts and I can't comprehend all that he knows and sees and does and how all that fits together. Right. And if I can't trust him in those moments when evil happens, in other words, if I if I say, well, God, let this happen and I lost this loved one and now I hate God or what have you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I can't understand why he allowed this to happen. Well, then I have a weak faith. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not understanding that God does things behind the scenes that I don't get uh, or that he has a grand plan that he is working out in the universe. Um, so I, I would consider that that my my view and, and that's going to that's going to appease some who ask you and it's going to annoy others <laughs> um yeah because and we have to know that going in you guys you know? some people just they, no no i want the answer i want to i want to understand it i want to be able to comprehend every part of it and the fact of the matter is there no there's there's thoughts and truths in scripture that are presented and in, and in life that we just say yeah i can't understand yeah. all this and we have to accept our own finiteness at a certain point uh, our own right. limitation of, of thought um, I would say probably another, and this would not be my answer uh, to, you know, if somebody's asking you out of grief and out of pain, I don't think the best answer is necessarily an apologetic answer. And by apologetic, sure. I mean uh, apologetics in the defense of the faith. 
um, saying, uh, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. And giving this pat, pat answer that, you know, whatever, um, you know, you have to recognize if a person's hurting, they're in pain, um, in some ways to recognize the pain and, and maybe to take your approach to say, we don't understand everything. And in fact, scripture, scripture tells us that, you know, it gives us that expectation that we won't understand everything. It tells us that God's thoughts are higher than his thoughts and his mm-hmm. ways beyond our ways. His, uh, you know, he, um, whether it's, I think it's Psalm 139, that he's so much, you know, obviously he is infinite. He's the all wise God. And so there are things we're not going to understand, but he does know your pain. And he yeah. does offer a uh, a grace that, how does it say it? Um, but my grace is an all sufficient grace, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be an answer there. But as far as in a moment of just kind of uh, discussion, if somebody's saying, so what about the problem of evil? Um, you know, one, one thing is, I think that could color the conversation would be our um, improper, maybe assumption or expectation and, and that goes back, I guess, to your discussion of what is evil, because we mm-hmm. say, well, because a lot of times we're hurting, like, and what we're saying is, I didn't deserve that. He didn't deserve that, you know? Yeah, so, I don't think everybody's saying that, though, Okay, when they go through not. something difficult. You know, I, 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 I think some folks, especially Christian folks, when they go through something difficult, um, I don't think they're all saying, I didn't deserve that. I think some are simply wondering why did this happen? Mm -hmm. And that is a fair question. And it is an honest question if it's asked in the right attitude, as as we learn from the book of Job. But I I think the emotional explanation that we can give to grieving people is not always going to be good enough for some folks. For some folks, it might be. But other folks really are going to want to know why why evil? Why does God permit evil in the first place? Mm -hmm. I mean, admittedly, there are people who've gone through horrible, horrible, unspeakable things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're going to often want to know, why does God allow this? And and I think those people, in, in a sense, should have an answer to that, which kind of begs the question, does God ordain evil ever? Um, I, I want to back up too, to something you said a I minute. Mean, I'm, I'm kind of processing what you're, what you're okay. saying here. I'm thinking, because it helps when you say, you know, some people have been through unspeakable evil to realize, you know, some people truly have been, uh, wounded, you know, hurt. And I, and I, you never, that's, that is part of the, to me, the problem of this discussion is that you don't want to, uh, what was I, how was I going to say it? Um, is, is sounding too cold, uncaring. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. obviously you've been through something, you know, horrific and I've never been through it and I don't understand it. And then I just sort of give you this cold, simple, logical answer that, well, blah, 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 you know, to kind of explain right. away the pain. However, um, you know, a lot of it, I feel like is somewhat of a forgetting that we do live in a sinful world, um, that we are yeah. fallen people, that we um, in, 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 innately um, are self-destructive and, and yeah. you know, so, so, so much of this is brought on. But now when so we're hurt by someone else and we say, but why me? Why did God even allow you know, his creature to do that? Well, we can come up with this really, uh, again, very finite explanation to go, well, God wanted people that would choose to love him. Oh, okay. Well, and maybe that's true, but I certainly, that's not necessarily the whole answer, you know, that he permitted sin to go on yeah. so that people, you know, 
because they have a free will. And so they choose to sin and mm-hmm. yet they could choose to love him and he doesn't want robots loving. Okay. Um, but anyway, is there an answer that's really satisfying? Well, ultimately, no. And that's why I think the big God view of theodicy is ultimately the one that wins the day is because for the person who walks by faith, that is a sufficient answer. And for those who refuse to walk by faith or they have an immature faith, um, that answer is not going to satisfy them. But my point is that while while you say there are some that don't want your theodicy answer when they're grieving, there are likely others as well who don't want your emotional comfort when they're grieving. They want an explanation. Mm. Um, and when it comes to the matter of theodicy, you kind of touched on this a bit ago, um, is uh, – oh, now I can't remember what you said. Um, <laughs> let, let me get back to my question before, before I forget it because I think <laughs> yeah. it will kind of bring us back around to it. Is the question, does God ever ordain evil? Okay. Is that is that sort of a nuanced question? Like by ordain, is there sort of a – Does he ever does he ever purpose for it to happen? Does he ever decree for it to happen or ordain for it to happen uh, as part of his plan? And to put it in kind of popular terminology, is, is, is he ever author sin? No, that's not what I'm asking. Okay. I'm asking for the purpose of his plan – does he plan that evil occur? Does he, perhaps even before the world began, does he ever ordain that something happen a certain way at a certain time by a certain people? Well, does he ever ordain it? Again, I think I, that's uh, that's one thing that's beyond our understanding to say. Well, God foreknew everything, so therefore mm-hmm. He planned it. That's where some people go. Well, um, no, that doesn't seem consistent, but. But did he foreknow it? And then does he know that this is the way of the world? And so obviously his plan is going to work through sinful humanity. And it says, well, he brings yeah. Romans eight twenty eight. all things work together for good. So, I mean, obviously that plan includes these all things that are happening, even the bad ones. But is it saying that he's designing like, yeah, I want, I want sin. I want this, this thing to happen. You know what I mean? Right, but do you see do you see what I'm asking though is did God simply foreknow the crucifixion would happen or did he ordain that? Well, and I think here's a two side of that. Yeah, I think obviously he ordained that, but I would think there's two sides of that and I was kind of an explanation I was given to somebody yesterday regarding temptation. On the one hand, we say, you know, uh, God may put you in a test or a trial you know, to press you, to, tr- you know, to, to try your faith, to grow you. That's the intent. Now, the, the flip side of what we call testing is tempting. And in that test, the flesh can be pulled away by desires to, uh, to respond adversely to that pressure and become bitter or whatever. So, so on the one hand, it's a, it is a temptation uh, by God. And yet it's not, an, it's not a temptation to evil. It is a temptation to grow you. And yet out of that temptation, there can be a temptation to evil. But James says, you know, that God cannot be tempted with evil, evil neither tempteth he right. any man. So do you see what I'm saying? The two sides of what God's doing in a pressure. And yet out of that same thing, a man sins. We go, oh, well, God made him sin. Well, n- no. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying God made the, the Jews sin in crucifying the Lord or the Romans. I'm not saying God made them do that. Right. But I am saying that we can't deny that to a point God did ordain it to happen. In fact, there's so much prophecy concerning the matter that if it had happened any other way, 
than him being his side being pierced or his his brow being pierced or him being buffeted with the hand if it had happened any other way then god would not be god in other words he ordained it to take place in a specific way and thus he can ordain things to happen that are evil and and really it's the only explanation of verses in in the bible that tell us it pleased the lord to bruise him well how does it please the lord for someone to be bruised <laughs> for something evil to happen. Um, th- does that make sense? Th- yeah, there's really, I, I think there's so. really no way around that. It's saying that, that God doesn't say, doesn't w- want the man in essence to, you know, say, uh, he's not, he's not contradicting his nature to say, be violent in this situation, be violent. Right. And yet he knows that's going to happen. And he's ordained that pressure point, uh, to, to right. happen. Well, because to take the opposite view is to say that the entire crucifixion and redemption of man was a happy accident, and God just simply said, well, I guess I'm okay with it. Um, and that's just not tenable. Well, yeah. And again, it, it doesn't make sense in his, uh, I mean, he knew it was going to happen, so nothing is an accident in the sense that uh, like, ooh, ooh, well, I didn't see that right. outcome coming. It's so so the, right, the but... wisdom of God and the power of God and the, you know, the righteousness of God. To my earlier point, though, it's not that he just knew it would happen that way. Um, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And as Peter said in his sermon in Acts, this was by his determinate counsel, uh, which means this was positively determined, mm-hmm. right? This was, this was planned, if we were to say it that way. And I know that's an uncomfortable thought, but it really does get to the heart of the question of theodicy, that I don't understand how God can in his plan not only allow evil to happen, but know it's going to happen. Uh, and 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 this is this is part of his plan. He can ordain something that he expressly forbids, like murder. Does that make sense? A little bit. I'd have to think through uh, whether we're parsing that down enough to make it balanced. But um... Well, it's no different than 1 Peter 3.17, which I think just came up in a recent episode as well, where Peter makes it clear that it is God's will for us to sometimes suffer, right? And, and we all know that intuitively, but we rarely think about the implications of that, that suffering, my suffering involves someone in some way persecuting me or sinning against me. And yet that was God's will for my life? Well, see, that's uh, right. But I, I don't think there's necessarily a, um, an inconsistency there when he, when he, if you will, ordains Nebuchadnezzar to take his people. He doesn't ordain Nebuchadnezzar to torture and kill his people, but to captivate them. Well, Nebuchadnezzar goes and just, you know, ransacks and pillages and wipes out everything. And then God's going to turn around and judge Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, in part for the manner of treatment, right? Um, so, so is he ordaining the captivity? Yes. Is he ordaining the sin of, of, of the way they were, you know what I'm saying? I mean, is, is that what you're saying? He's ordaining the outcome, but not the action. Just to be clear, you're saying God ordained Neb- Nebuchadnezzar's judgment because of Nebuchadnezzar's treatment of Israel? And that seems like from my reading, uh, at least in part, yes. Or is it because of his pride? Well, yeah, that that judgment too. You're talking about when he was for seven years and things like that. Yeah, I'd have. Are to we look. talking about different judgment? Um, yes. Okay. I mean, that's what I would think. I'd have. To, I don't have the exact uh, reference in front of me on that. But yeah, all that to say, 
And I think we would just keep, you know, going round and round on this the more mm-hmm. we talk about it, because because all we have is is examples, right? We can give examples of both sides of this issue. And that's why the big God view of theodicy seems to fit the best is because we're just not going to understand, but yet we know that God can ordain something to take place that he expressly forbids. Otherwise, the crucifixion was just an accident that he somehow was okay with. Um, <clears throat> the other view of theodicy is, and you've probably heard this from pulpits before, is uh, what some might call the redemptive glory view. <clears throat> Um, that basically God before the creation uh, knew that the story of redemption would, would be the best way to bring glory to himself. That, okay. you know, sin had to happen and man had to fall and Satan had to be, be the enemy and God had to step in and redeem them and, and save them and then defeat Satan and so on, because that is the best way for him to have brought glory to himself. <clears throat> Um, that's, that's what some might call the redemptive glory view. And I'm not opposed to that thought. I just don't think it really explains the best. I think still the big God view of theodicy is the best. Um, does that make sense? Well, to me, it certainly, I mean, it makes sense that it, the, the big, the big God view is better because it just seems to, um, <laughs> yeah, well, it's good. it seems to say, to say, well, this is what bring God most glory basically says, yeah, whatever happens to you, that, that just glorifies God the, best, the most. So that's why he does it. You know, like, what, I mean, that doesn't sound as comforting as we just don't understand, you know, that God's working right. all these things. Yes, for our, well, his glory, but our good. And yeah. And it also places uh, the decision for what glorifies God the most into the imagination of man. Um, <laughs> really, God can glorify himself any way he chooses to. And who are we to say one way is the best way versus another way? Um, so I, I think the, uh, the the redemptive glory view is okay. It can explain some things. But again, it's sort I don't of an insufficient can... man pattern to it. I mean, it's, yeah, like it's my thought on this, which may be very finite and limited. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and then uh, the third view that I've uh, come across, in fact, someone shared this with me recently, was the God as author view. Um, that God is the author of life and he has the right to write the story as he sees fit. In other words, he essentially, <laughs> he's essentially crafting a novel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that um, sounds a little uh, hyper, uh, yes, hyper, hyper Calvinistic what? to me, hyper um, sovereignty is that you're just a chess piece. God writes the end of the story. You know, yeah, you feel it. You happen yeah. to understand it because you're a sentient creature with intelligence and he's created you that much. But look, yeah. it's, well, pre- I it's mean, predestined. It's deterministic. You're part of the story. Well, just live it out, brother. Sure. But I think that there might, there might be a different term you'd use because frankly, every theodicy solution we've talked about is a sovereign God view. The redemptive glory view is a sovereign God view. The big God theodicy is a sovereign God view. All of them are. Um, so, but God we, as and author. And we don't want to explain, obviously explain away the sovereignty of God. Of course he's sovereign. Right. I just think. Yeah, people, we don't have a problem with I that. I just think some people make him so sovereign that you really don't have a choice. Just live it out. It's determined. Um, you know, you're part of a, a, a grand drama. You, you don't write the part. Just, you know, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the view is basically that, uh, as one writer says here, that he is, uh, that God is the author of a story and as author, he can have the characters do anything necessary, uh, without he himself becoming tainted with evil. Um, 
again, I think there are some merits to it. Um, God is writing a story. Um, but I think this, the, 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 where it falls flat is I think people can take this view, um, and kind of do what they want with it. Um, and, and I don't like, I don't like leaving that many holes in something, <laughs> right? Whereas the big God theodicy view essentially has one hole one and it is massive this. Hole. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I don't understand what God does. I just trust him anyway. Um, <laughs> But anyway, I think that there have been some combination of all of these views presented in independent fundamental Baptist pulpits for generations. Mm. Uh, we've heard all of these in some shade, in some way, shape, or form. Um, so, so, but but I think some combination of them is is perhaps a good um, a good view. But I think the big God theodicy view has to take the uh, take the cake here. I would say that'd be if I had to choose one of the three, that'd be my preference. Though I, I don't, I couldn't, I couldn't yet comfortably use the terminology that God ordains what He otherwise prohibits. Um, I that sounds to seems to introduce um, a in, an inconsist an inconsistency into God's nature that I can't uh, accept yet. But <laughs> well, well, maybe maybe it's uh, the big God theodicy that you need. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I mean, I just don't know how else that hole that I don't understand. (laughs) Yeah. I just don't know how else we would explain the crucifixion. I don't know how else we would explain that it's God's will for his people to sometimes suffer. I don't know how else we can explain that without saying that God wants this to take place, Mm -hmm. but it's also something he expressly forbids. And, uh, that that's, that's a difficult thing. That's hard to understand, hard to be understood, we might say. Um, but without it, the crucifixion is just silly. And, I, and I'm not, it's just, I understand that those things exist and trying, but is there a way to explain it where, uh, where God recognizes, you know, or God ordains the outcome of that thing without ordaining um, the specific sins that go into it? I don't, I'd have to think over that. But good. Thank you, Tom, for your thought mm-hmm. on that. You've obviously uh, done some thought and research there. Sure. Did we uh, did we hit that one? Uh, I think so. I mean, we could probably talk, you know, several episodes on this alone <laughs> um, and, and probably still not get anywhere. Yeah, right. right. Um, so but we can move on if you uh, if you'd like to. Yes. Um, let's see here. Um Okay, so maybe related to that um, in some way, um, we we say God is immutable, right? Mm-hmm. He's unchanging. He's faithful. Uh, he's you know true to himself uh, and things like that. He's he's firm. That's the um, so with with that being said, he's faithful. He's unchanging. Uh, I know that he will never change. Uh, does that mean that he's predictable? I, I think to some degree, yes, um, to some degree. Mm-hmm. And and the reason why I say that is because, um, I mean, honestly, you know, when you're talking about predictability, I, I think you're talking about at least in some sense, a form of the word faithful. Okay. As, as used scripturally, mm-hmm, right? Right. That, um, mm. The idea that there is consistency. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Pastor Dietrich used to describe it. He probably still does. Um, as uh, you know, every time I go to start my car, <laughs> yeah. if it starts only two times out of three, would you say that car is faithful? faithful. <laughs> no, no. Or if I turn the lights on in the house and the lights come on, you know, two times out of three, 
Are those lights faithful? No, they're not. Faithful means that it does the same thing every time, uh, that it is in some sense predictable. <laughs> and and frankly, I'm, I'm thankful for the stability of the Christian life, that we can learn the mind of Christ, in a sense, learn how he thinks about things mm-hmm. and how he does things, how he operates. We can learn his design for the world and design for life without there being some degree of predictable faithfulness of God. I don't even know what we have as Christians. Good, good. Um, and yet you say to some degree and in some way, what's the what's the drawback? Why do you not say that he's absolutely predictable? Uh, well, kind of in a sense, and I think this may be the connection you saw between this and the question of theodicy a moment ago, is because I don't think we can predict everything he's going to do in life, in our life. Good. Right. And so that's where, and that was maybe a little bit of my struggle uh, in the last question was um, knowing that he is always consistent to his nature. How do you describe something that looks like his actions are not? But, uh, but yes, that's exactly it is that he's always true to his nature. He is who he is. And, and, and that, that character, that, you know, that goodness of him is not going to change. Uh, and we can know that he'll always be the most powerful, you know, the all powerful, his grace will, yeah. um, you know, always be sufficient, whatever. Um, but there are verses like Romans eleven thirty four says for who hath known the mind of the Lord, you know, or who hath been his counselor. Uh, there are going to be times when we don't, like you said, know what he's going to do. When, when the when right. Hebrew boys stood in front of Nebuchadnezzar and said, uh, our God is able to deliver us from this fire and he will deliver us. But if not, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, and there was that yeah. introduction that it's not that he may not be able to pull through, but that maybe I don't entirely understand everything he means to do here. So they were recognizing yeah. their own lack of knowledge of God's plan, though yeah. it's not a it's not a, a lack of confidence in who God was. Yeah, well, if God was utterly predictable by us, I, I think that really smashes the concept of his deity in the first place, mm. um, because it, in a sense, puts us on par with being able to understand God fully, you know? And I think really that's what people are looking for when they get into like numerology. They mm-hmm. have this belief that God is absolutely so utterly predictable that we can find the numbers, we can do the math, right? Mm. And yet, what we can't explain is why it is that some people who live a godly Christian life, uh, they end up with tragedy and other people who live like Christian pigs, uh, they end up, you know, seemingly blessed of the Lord with all sorts of opportunities and material things and so on. And we look and say, that doesn't make sense. Shouldn't that be predictable? (laughs) Well, no, uh, that is in a sense, a lot of the conclusions of the book of Job is that God is not predictable in this sense because Job seemed like the least deserving guy uh, to get that sort of treatment. Um, but yeah, so so yeah, I think God is predictable. Otherwise, we have no place for faith in him, right? Um, but at the same yes, time, right. we don't always know what he's going to do or why he does it. Yes. And it doesn't often make sense. Right. So that's good. And I, as you said that, I thought, whoa, Job might be the best answer to the theodicy question um, right there. When you say he's the mm-hmm. least deserving, obviously went through, you know, uh, traumatic events. And yet we know the story. We understand. But, you know, what, how would you have answered Job? You know, um, anyway. or Yeah, that's good. Okay. So, uh, listeners, if you have any feedback there, it's reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com. Um, 
just uh, if you're going to answer the entire question of theodicy and solve it once and for all, maybe send it in multiple emails um, <laughs> and give us <laughs> I mean, how many pages would that be? It, it would be it, you couldn't. It, yeah. Okay. Anyway, yeah. So uh, it would crash the internet. Yeah. Just don't text it to Tom. <laughs> the answer yeah. or or Please to don't. me. Like bling, 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 bling. Don't don't text me. (laughs) So if you have a a thought on uh, theodicy or is God predictable, uh, an example you want to share, a thought maybe we didn't quite cover, um, there's there's an angle that would just help the discussion. Feel free to share it with us, reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com. I think we're just about there, Tom. We're probably going to have to let it go. Um, and transfer into the uh, after show here. And so again, thank you for listening. If you're interested in the after show, it's uh, available to elite patrons at patreon.com slash reason together who sign up at the elite level, then have access to the uh, after show. And uh, if you're not an elite patron, we will uh, see you next time or talk to you next time. Yeah. All right. Well, we are encouraging balance, developing perspective and connecting faith to practice. And solving all the world's problems in one unplanned episode at a time. (laughs) Uh, This is Reason Together. Reason Together.